0: All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me and my amazing guest this week, Merritt on on the show. Merritt, welcome in to The Big Ticket Life today.
1: Thank you, Jeff. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, happy you're here. So as we kick off, I want to let everybody know who's watching and listening, and you can take both of those in um, on our show. You can watch it on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Please like subscribe, follow on whatever channel you like. You can also uh, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. But, you know, if you've been watching as of late, we've been taking the show in a renewed, uh, evolved focus. uh, I like to say internally, the show is about a bigger life. And it's about a bigger life for leaders who are really uh, becoming the embodiment of courage, being that example of courage for those they lead. Not just the nice artwork that looks good in the conference room, you know, with courage and then, you know, like lions or, you know, hyenas or whatever on the artwork. It's just, I want people, and I feel I'm an example of living courage with my story, but I want to be able to transfer that courage to other leaders. So on that note, Merit, I know you get down with this topic. Um, I also want to hear about this speakeasy that you've got in your home. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool. But, Maribel, I'll, I'll kick it over to you about courage and what leaders can do with that. And then we'll just kind of go from there.
1: Okay. Uh, well, just to give folks a little bit of background on me, um, I've been since 1998, I've been an entrepreneur. I started by having my own sales, sales management, coaching, training, consulting business. And uh, then I, you know, was in in terms of marketing that business. I would do a lot of speaking at different community events and business conferences, and then I started getting paid to speak. And I thought, oh, this is really fun. Uh, so then my business morphed more into keynote speaking and and doing workshops at conferences and things like that. And right before the pandemic hit, I had uh, my fiftieth birthday. I know that's where you gasp and go, "What? She's." An- Fifty, yes, and uh, <laughs> and I, I had this crazy idea that I was going to do fifty minutes of original comedy for my fiftieth birthday, and then somehow that got turned into doing a one-woman show with costumes and props and a set and the whole thing, and it was really talk about stepping in and and finding some courage. Not only was I doing something on a bigger stage than I really had ever done before, but I was sharing more of my personal story. And, you know, it's one thing when you are um, out there in front of an audience doing a keynote, they're there for the content and they hope that you're entertaining because it makes it easier to listen to. But at a theater show that was really all about My life story, as told through the lens of comedy, it was a very different experience, and so you know that really took a a whole new level of courage and confidence than I had really ever experienced. But it opened up new stages and new opportunities to play on a bigger stage, to lead a a big ticket life, and uh, that's what I'm stepping into now.
0: Love it, love it. Are you uh, are you okay to share some of what? Parts of your life story is all about here with everybody listening.
1: Well, sure. I actually divided my fifty years into five decades, and so the the show is divided in you know in in the decades of your life. And so, if you think back to your life, there were things that were important to you, things, people that had an impact on you in the different phases of your life. Um, the things that made you laugh, the things that made you cry, the frustrating things. So, if, so when I wrote the show. I really looked at my life in 10-year increments. And then I was able to distill, you know, I wrote down literally like lists of stories. And then I I had to find the through line through each of them so that there was a, it wasn't just like, and so then this happened. And then when I was 20, this happened. It's really, you see that who I am today really started as any of us, Right. From who I was back in that moment and, you know, right. when, when I first met that person or when that event first happened. And so you, you hear about childhood illness and my grandmother who really was my first sales coach. And, you know, this, the thing that my father said to me anytime I told him something wasn't possible, starting with the sixth grade. Uh, and then how that, that one little sound bite showed up later in my life, multiple times. Um, I talk about my challenging marriage to a narcissist and having a baby and uh, dating post-divorce. And so I really cover a lot (laughs) in the show.
0: Sounds like a great show. You know, it's funny you would bring up or share that your show is divided into those chapters. Uh, I'm actually going through right now a core memories exercise. A um, little more granular. So five-year increments, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's it's interesting that you, I uh, think you said common thread or common theme. Yeah. Amongst those different chapters, those different 10-year increments. Um, so yeah, I'm unpacking a lot there uh, for me um, going good. through that.
1: Yeah, I I think that's such a great exercise. I encourage everyone to do that because really the show is um, a journey back to who I've always been. And when I think about it like that, you know, I started as a, a performer, really as a young girl. And then, you know, to now be producing, performing and having written my own show, I can see that those seeds were planted quite young. So it's yeah. it's just kind of an interesting journey. But I will say, you know, just to tie this back to leadership this past week, last Friday in fact, I was in Connecticut and I was the closing keynote for um a conference and what I did was I took stories from my show. So I brought some props and some some costumes and uh, pieces of the set to this keynote. And I, I kind of said, look, you know, we're going to do something a little bit different to close out your conference this year. We're going to, I'm going to share stories from my theater show. But unlike the version you would see in the theater, we're going to, we're going to go backstage. We're going to push pause on the, on the stories from the show a few times during this keynote. And I'm going to take you behind the scenes and we're going to talk about the leadership and life lessons that I learned from these various stories and points in my life. And it was really fascinating experience and the audience loved it. And it was such a, it was kind of a, a risk, right? Really to, to do a, a closing keynote like that. Cause I didn't know how they would react to that. But once we got into the rhythm and they kind of understood how this was going to work and, and I went into the audience and I asked them, you know, okay, I just told you about my grandmother and the impact she made on my life. Who made an impact on your young life? And what's the, what is it? The, what's the attribute you admired about them? And so we, I went into the audience. I learned about a gentleman who lost, uh, his sister when she was just 11 years old. So this was many, many years ago and how that relationship still shapes who he is as a leader today. Um, yeah. another guy, you know, highlighted and, and praised his wife who wasn't necessarily involved in his young life, but, she was an is is an integral part part of the type of leader that he is today, and so it was a really interesting experience for people in the audience to first hear my story in an entertaining theater way, and then to map those stories out onto their own life. And I think that really made for a very engaging, inspiring, very unique, um, you know, keynote experience.
0: Uh, I love how you brought people, it sounds like physically, literally, kind of into the story by yeah. getting up, getting out of the chairs. I'm sure there might have been, uh, if it wasn't audible, there might have been a, a feel in the room, of a groan, like, oh, here's here's another one of these people at the front of the stage wanting us to do some exercise, right? And Because no, I've been I mean, in those rooms. <laughs>
1: they don't groan in Not with, God, you. Not with not you. Not with you. With really, good,
0: good, good. But it's it's great that you brought people in that way and were able to extract something. I think so many people, uh whether they're trained as leaders, cultivated as leaders, they forget that their stories are really why they're in the position in the first place. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, there there's something that the people who bring them into those roles see. But then they, you know, they get that spit and polish. They get the suit and the time, maybe, or that. Whatever the leadership uniform is and whatever the company is, uh, you know, if it's a construction site, it's a different color hard hat, right? Uh, these uniforms come on and we kind of forget who we are as people mm-hmm. and the people that we lead. And like, if it, by May, uh, I want to turn that over to you for some of your thoughts. Can I give you an anecdotal story of something that just happened yesterday in my in my sure. world? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so in my retail business, we... Uh, We've never really done gift cards. It's just that it's a retail mattress store. People don't give mattresses to other people, right? So it's like gift cards is kind of a weird thing. It's a personal purchase. But we're, we're getting into it because we see that maybe people want to just buy it for themselves. So Black Friday, we have a gift card sale. Anyway, the The program showed up late and it got to us just yesterday. And so I'm all I wanted to do as the leader was just come out and, and say, here's how you load these things. Here's how you process it. Let's go. And all of a sudden, there's all these questions. Is there an activation fee? Is there a fee to keep the card? Uh, you know, how do we process it through the point of sale? And I'm just like, I was beginning to get frustrated. I just said, well, timeout guys, you all know me. You do. I just want to go. I want to run the touchdown play right now and then move on. You guys want to call the play back at the five yard line way back down the field and that's okay. So let me reset with you. And, you know, as a leader, I think I, I would, years ago, I would just get really frustrated and be upset and, and say, well, why aren't you understanding this? But instead, they had very valid questions because they're on the front line. And so I, as a leader, kind of, just kind of had to reset my level with them in that moment. And so I'll kind of turn that over to you about how leaders can sometimes, you know, uh, get too focused on their position as a leader and forget the human side of who they are.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's many examples uh, for that point. And uh, when I was at this event on Friday and did their closing keynote, I also earlier that morning, I did a session uh, about emotional intelligence for leaders. And in that session, we talked about the different emotional intelligence aspects that make somebody a strong leader. And you know, one of them is uh, assertiveness, right? So assertiveness, we we admire assertiveness, assertiveness in our leaders, and we kind of expect that, right? They have to, you know, the buck stops here, and you know, it's go time, and here's the touchdown play, and all of that, right? But they do need to learn how to balance that with empathy for others. Um, where is somebody else in their journey? You know, how, how can we help them understand the, the bigger picture, uh, you know, meeting them where they are. So one of the examples that I used, um uh, was this other company that, um, well, I'll give you a, a universally shared example. And I know we're all sick of tired, sick and tired of talking about the pandemic, but at the beginning of the pandemic as a sales and you know sales management coach and trainer and consultant, I was getting a lot of my clients calling me saying like, what should we do? You know, I still have my numbers to make. I still have my objectives and my goals to reach. So I want to just, you know, continue on. And, you know, with the sale that we already had in action before the world went crazy, right. but I'm not really sure, like, is it appropriate to sell now? Like, how do we do this? And so I was getting two very ki- different kinds of phone calls. There was this sort of People who were like, well, I got an objective to cover and I'm just going to sell my stuff. And then there were the empathetic people who, you know, really wanted you know, be there for their clients and how can I help and checking in and all of that. And so neither one of those personality uh, styles, they're not really personality styles, but neither one of those uh, attributes in terms of their emotional intelligence were good to lead with what i coach people to do was be more balanced so an assertive person i would encourage them to say you know hey um before we talk about all the things that we were engaged with before the world fell apart let me just check in everything okay how are you how are you how's your team you know is there anything i can do right. and then they would say you know it seems like everything is completely out of our control. Would you be open to having a conversation about that one thing that we can control? And that is blah, blah, blah deal that they were talking about. So that was a good way for them to assert and get the conversation back to where they needed it to be, but also be empathetic. With the empathetic people, I encourage them to not just check in, but to just add that second piece to the conversation, which was, you know, Is there... Are you open to having a conversation about the one thing that we can control? And so what I really want my leaders to walk away with is this sense of balance. You know, if you... Like you, in your example, you want to just throw the touchdown pass and like, let's go. Like, here's here's how you key in the sale. And like, let's move these gift cards. But you know, you might also take a step back and go, you know, why do you think we're doing this? And How do you think this is going to help your sales? And how does this really serve our customers to be doing this? Because they may may really want to take advantage of this mattress sale, but this is not the time when they are able to, you know, luxuriate and buy something for themselves. Right now, they're they're thinking about all these other people. So the message is, you know, how can we remind them that you know you're important too, and you know this is something for you. And when the holidays. Are over and you can relax a little, bit, a little bit and take a breath. You'll have the you'll have this deal to come back to and then do something for yourself at the end, right? So it's you know like it's like you just read my email. Ah, there you go. <laughs>
0: that's that's going out uh, on uh, Thursday night. So there you go. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Right. I love that mix and that balance um, of things. I think. And that's kind of the uniforms that I was alluding to, right? Like I'm the assertive leader. I'm the empathetic leader. It's right. like you can you can kind of have to bring in some theater here. You can have a all our dream code of leadership.
1: Oh, right? I like that.
0: I figured you would. Yeah, <laughs> you can you can Fair blend either. these things. Um, and and I think it's okay to show people that vulnerability and, of don't have to be the assertive person all the time, 24 seven, you know, you, you as, go ahead.
1: I I was just going to say, you know, vulnerability uh, in leadership. I mean, obviously Brene Brown brought that to the forefront and she's, she's incredible and I follow her work and I really like her stuff. And I would just add to that, that I think there's a, there's a, I don't want to say this so it sounds manipulative, but there's a deliberate vulnerability that I think is important. So I want my leaders to, yes, be vulnerable in the sense that their teams feel safe and that they're approachable and, you know, that the leader has their back. But I don't want such extreme vulnerability that the team is like oh my god are we following this person like what is going on here so i think you want to be it's not deliberate it's more like strategic strategic vulnerability um i get very vulnerable in my theater show there are some stories that i tell in my theater show in an entertaining way because i do believe um you know, scars are scars in life, right? The things that didn't go well, literal and and physical and and metaphorical scars mark the stories of our lives. and stories right. are really meant to be shared so that everybody can heal. But there are some stories that I tell that are appropriate in a theater setting that I absolutely will not tell in my corporate work because it's a little too much. It's like a it's a little. Right it's a little too much. and so i think, you know, strategic vulnerability. i can get vulnerable with my audience and that doesn't mean i'm sharing every single little detail of life. right. and i think that's also healthy. you know, you got to know when to hold back just a little bit too.
0: yeah. yeah. yep, i can agree with that. um uh yeah, i would imagine You've probably run a, a run up against HR heralds with yeah you know, if they kind of look at your press kit, look at your bio kit, maybe catch the comedy show. Has anybody ever asked? Well, what exactly are you bringing to our stage?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I always get permission. Um, so if if I know that this group, you know, if they've asked me to do a certain program specifically, if if I'm doing the theater, the the keynote performance, I call it "Open Minds, Open Doors." Um, or, you know, the, the leadership lessons from the stages of our life, right? So sometimes I use some different titles. Um, but I will always talk to the meeting planner and a few of the people that are representative of that audience. And I'll say, look, um, there are a couple of stories that I need, I need somebody in your group to just kind of say yay or nay. Cause we can include them and they're funny and they're very relatable, but there may be just, there's a potential of them be a little edgy, right? So I just want to know from there, they know their audience better. So if I get the approval from them, then we're all in and, and I share those stories. And if they say, you know, I think that might not be so appropriate or acceptable for our audience. And I'm like, great, we don't need to do those. I'll do these clean stories over here. I just, I I need to gauge that. Now, if you're sitting in my comedy club audience, you don't get to choose, right? I'm going to go right. I'm going to go off the deep end and we're going edgy in the comedy club. But there's a very you have to understand your audience and the environment that you're playing in. So, you know, on my website uh, on the homepage it talks about you now I'm a performer and choose your stage, right? You know, that's the title of our session. Your stage, or your mm-hmm. choice. So there's three stages that I perform on. And I think this is indicative of leaders too, right? There's, you know, for me, there's my keynote stage, my corporate business stage, there's the theater show stage, and there's a comedy club stage. And those are very different performances because the audiences are there for a different purpose. You know, in comedy, it's really just a 100% of the material is just designed for you to laugh and have a great time. In the theater show... I want you to laugh, but I also want you to come away with some, like an inspiration in the, on the corporate stage. I need you to be engaged and entertained, but there has to be some relevant content. Otherwise, what are we doing here? So because I know the, what each of those audiences really requires from the performance, I'm able to adjust and I dial up the comedy or I dial up the content where I dial up the connection between me and the audience or the audience with each other. And that's how I build the right message for the right stage because it's it's really not about my performance. It's about what does the audience in that moment really need to experience. And I, I think leaders need to think about that same thing, right? They've got the, the message for their board, the message for their employees, the messaging for their customers and clients. And, you know, you you are essentially performing in different ways for those different quote-unquote stages.
0: I love all that. I wrote down a few things that I want to come back to that you shared. Um You talked about scars of our past, right? And in, in my book, I launched a book this summer. One of the chapters is that new cuts don't equal old scars. You know, mm-hmm. as a leader, I've come to... I've come to recognize that you know the people I meet, people that I'm involved with in the day, even clients. You know the troubles that they bring, the clashes that they have between work and home, the things in their daily life. You know, I'll I'll show or share something right here today. Sadly, there's a family in our community today who is going to go into Thanksgiving. Their their child got in a fight at school and took out a pocket knife. Okay. And and I just share it through that context because we don't know as leaders is one of our people on our team, is that their family? You know, is their child dealing with drug addiction? Did we just realize they're doing some things online that they shouldn't be? You know, there's so many clashes today that can exist between work and home and for the people that we lead that they just don't necessarily bring out to us. And in some places, it may not be our position to be involved. But we also do get a third of their life when we walk together. And and so those clashes sometimes become what we internalize. I feel as these new cuts, but they're not the old scars. You know, it's not that thing of the past that puts you to your trigger point, that, that blood pressure raise point. It's not that thing. They didn't wake up trying to emulate whatever that was. It's just their day. It's their clash, and I feel as a leader, it's on us to first separate the two and then work to try to help that person. Can you expand on that at all
1: well i I mean it's true you you really don't ever know what's really going on in someone else's life, right? you know you you see them in a good mood or a bad mood, but you don't know why that is or a lot of times people will internalize it boss comes in in a bad mood and everybody internalizes and like what did i do right it's not about you all the time um i think the one thing that leaders really have a unique position to provide to people is it is just an environment where it's light you know, there's a lot of heavy things that can happen in, in a person's personal life. So if the one third of the, their time that they're with you and your environment under your leadership can be that place where, yes, they have to be productive and get their work done and there might be course corrections to make and, you know, things like that. But can, it doesn't have to be so, you know, significant, right? Um, I, I remind my leaders that laughter lightens the load you hold. And I think that's a really good message for us to remember, Um, you know, studying comedy and and being able to uh, lean into humor to turn a bad situation around when things go awry. That's a gift. And and but it also can be learned. It's a skill. And so for leaders, when you think about all the stress that is swirling around everybody, um, not just in the business world, but also in their personal lives and you know the leader is really the buffer between whatever the problems are and the people who need to execute the solutions and to the extent that a leader can re- keep the stress down then people w- when people are less stressed they make less mistakes when they're when they're a little bit lighter yeah. and and things are you know they can laugh a little bit they they're actually more productive and there's lots of research out there on that on that uh message and so i just remind remind people that you know just find the funny to turn a bad situation around when things go awry you see somebody and they seem stressed out you know you, you can ask them if they're open to sharing what's going on and and you can also ask them are you open to you know, finding some way that we can laugh about this. It, here's, here's a thing that I, I shared with this group on Friday. You know, they, uh, I believe it was Mark Twain. Don't quote me. I, 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 I went and I researched the quote and there was a, some conflicting material, but I believe it was Mark Twain who said, um, tragedy plus time equals comedy. The thing is, nobody said it had to take a long time. And so, my coaching, especially to leaders, is instead of, you know, what if the culture of your organization was not that phrase that we've all heard, which is, you know, someday we'll laugh about this. What if the culture in your organization was in 10 minutes, we're going to laugh about this? Like, we're going to get to the humor so that we can all kind of lighten up, get our brains back in the game and solve the problem. And I just think that's a really healthy. Culture.
0: Yeah. I love that. Don't need really, you're saying you don't need to dwell on it. We can not look for some day in the future, which means we're carrying it around for however many days that we arbitrarily predetermined. We just shed it right now. Yeah. Let's joke about it. Hey, remember that one time it really, really screwed the deal up? Let's move on. Let's create a better deal tomorrow. Yeah. Cause there isn't, but there is always more opportunity for more deals, more things down the road. Um, I love that. You talked about how you have your three physical different stages and what you bring to each. And at times parts and pieces from each may co-mingle with the other. You know, do you think leaders could take that same approach? Could they, and they in their own world, right? If all the, if all their worlds a stage and they create a, create a few of them. And, and bring I, I mean, that to their people.
1: Yeah, I absolutely think so. There's there's times when, you know, when leaders are on this on the celebration stage, right? They're they're able to celebrate good work and praise the team. And, you know, it's a light and uh uplifting you know experience. Um there's there's the stage when sometimes as a leader you have to do hard things, you have to course correct or uh point out a, a particular behavior that isn't tolerated in your organization and and you know kind of get somebody back on track right so there's a there's a performance improvement or a disciplinary stage if you can want to look at it like that there's you know sort of like steady eddy sort of middle of the road stage which is you know like just a typical normal day and here's how we interact and so I, you know, leaders, sometimes there's the emergency s- stage, right? There's like, oh my God, there's this unexpected experience and they have to go into a different, they have to play a different role. So if you think about it, you know, there's, there's stages, but, you know, Jim Collins back in you know, 2001 when he wrote Good to Great, he taught us that you need the right people and the right seats on the, on the bus, right? We all learned right. that. Yeah. Well, I think it's very much the same in, in the theater of business, right? We need the right actors in the right roles, you know, in the right scenes. And so, if you think about and you look at your organization, you you know, who are good? They're good, solid actors. They may be miscast. Um, and from a leadership perspective, how do you need to adapt? Right? An actor isn't just playing one role. They, you know, a, a good professional actor can can you know play the villain in this in this uh uh piece and play the hero in another performance and so a leader really needs to know what's the what's the type of performance that's needed for this particular piece and in that you know it what's nice about that analogy is that it's for a defined period of time. So in other words, a leader doesn't always have to be the bad guy or the, you know, the cheerleader, right? Like they, they need to be able to see that what's called for in this moment, in this particular role is for me to be a little bit, to lean a little bit more into the disciplinarian part of leadership or the supervisor part of management. Over, you know, but in the next moment or with the next actor on stage, you, you know, could be more of the, you know, supporting cast or, right? So there's a lot of different stages and roles that leaders play. And that's why being an emotionally intelligent leader, really well balanced among the the 15 different attributes that make up strong emotional intelligence, that allows you, when you're more balanced, that allows you to lean in to the strengths that you need for the different scenarios that you find yourself in. And that's a really important skill for leaders.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of great wisdom there. So somebody's listening to this, watching it. And again, wherever you might be doing that, if you could give me a follow or a subscribe, I'd love for you to do so. Uh, I rarely ever do that. So if you can hit pause and do that, that'd be great. So somebody's just come back from following and subscribing. Because you follow good instructions. And you're a leader who is that um, that hero role, right? And, and you've got 10 blockbuster films under your belt. You're you're the consummate hero type leader. But you do need to be the villain, if you will. You do need to, you know, kind of crack some skulls, so to say, right? To you need to bring some. Some uh, correction in where it's needed. I'm not saying go crack actual skulls. Please don't, please don't do that. <laughs> but you need to, you need to shift, role. like walk. Because I imagine there's fear there for people um, in doing so, right? In, in in shifting these directions. If not for those they lead, maybe their bosses. And even if you're the owner of your own company, you still answer to your customers. And your leadership style has no doubt if you've been at it for any length of time, exudes through your marketing, it exudes in the way your company presents to your customers whether that's in their home at a physical location online. So walk, walk some people through what it's like in that fear of shifting out of that one stage of leadership and playing in some of those other ponds of leadership. Like, What can people expect and how do they get out of their own mind of making that change?
1: Well, I, I think the most important thing that a leader can do, um, when they have to have a difficult conversation with somebody on their team is, uh, to really first and foremost separate the behavior from the person, right? So it's, it's very rare that you're going to say to somebody, you know, like, you're an evil person or you, you know, you're really not, uh, disciplining the person, you you want to separate out the behavior. So it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, look, you, you've been around here for a while, or, you know, I know you're new to the team. Uh We have to have a conversation about the behaviors that I understand happened or that I witnessed in this interaction. So it has nothing to do with who you are as a person. This is, a bit of this is strictly a conversation about the behaviors that were dem, that were demonstrated in this situation. So I always recommend you separate the person from from the behavior that you're trying to discipline. No different than kid, right? Like, you know, my really? kid, I remember when he was little or drew on the furniture, right? All all kids do go through that at some point. I didn't say, you know, you're an idiot. I said, That's not acceptable behavior. We don't draw on furniture. You're, you're better than that. Like you, that's not who you are, right? Like, help me understand what happened, why you did that, right? So I think that that's really the important aspect. And you just want to, because at the end of the day, you want this person to continue to follow your lead. So if you attack them about something personal, then that person's not really going to want to walk through fire for you. So if you leave them intact, but you can correct a, a behavior that they may not have known was inappropriate or whatever, then they can learn from it and you shouldn't see that again. And I, I always, I go with the st- three strikes you're out policy too, right? Like, you know, this is the first warning and, you know, let's not do that again. And, you know, Three times and you're out. But I also think that, you know, I, I used to do a lot and do this much anymore. But, um, one of the, the things that I have done a lot in my career was uh, I designed onboarding programs for companies, particularly when they were hiring new salespeople and they had to get them up to speed very quickly. And one of the conversations, cause I was always asked, you know, like, how do you really teach a, a company culture? And that's a, it's a hard thing to teach, you know, especially with, you know, here's the five PowerPoint slides on the five things that we value in this company. Well, that's one thing to put them up on a slide, but you really want to demonstrate them and then show in real time that this is our value. And then you, that's a learning moment, right? So those are, you think about, you know, stories, stories stick, you want them to have a, an experience of it. You're really teaching somebody in a much more meaningful way. And so, um, where I was going with that was now I forgot my live live podcast. Uh, It's all right. Hold, hold, hold everybody. So go subscribe while I think of what I was trying to say. Uh, 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 Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Um, But I think, you know, you, Oh, I know. So in a, in a conversation with a, with a new hire example, for example, I would have a leader say to them, Here's what you need to know. These these are the things that will get you fired. And these are the things that will get you promoted. And when we yeah. have that conversation up front, then people kind of know this is how we operate around here. Now, if they do one of the things that would get them fired, now you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm confused because we talked about this. So anyway, that's what I wanted to say yeah. about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I mean, the onboarding it's thing, it's so important. Yeah. And, you know, kind of my gift card example, like I just wanted to check that box. And then so many emails back and forth with the merchant processing company and uh, who provides the program. And all I wanted to do was just get it done, like check the box, get it done, move on, right? And and we did, but it really came down to I needed to onboard that little micro program yeah, within the broader program. And as a leader, that was my fault, 100%. And in the moment, he recognized him. I'm like, all right, guys, hey, we just take a step back. And then literally took a step back away from the point of sale terminal. And I said, you guys have valid questions. So here's what I want you to do. You guys talk devoid to me because I don't think of these questions. Come together. Shoot me what they are. I'll go, let's, let's try to get them all out. And then I'll get the answers and we'll, we'll put this to bed today. And, 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 and so it was my failure as a leader on board that little program. You know, I I think that's so so important. Um, you know, I love how you said this is where you're going to get promoted, this is where you're going to get fired. Yeah, you know that that ha- in, in the sales culture that happens. You know, you see, I've seen my in, in the industry I've spent 22 years in furniture and mattress industry. I've seen a lot of top writers, both on the wholesale side and on the uh, retail side, get let go. And everybody kind of stares around like, oh, you'll let that person go. And it's not like the car game where they sacrifice one every so often just to prove a point. Um, mm-hmm. I think car, car dealers need a lot of help for most parts. Um, but uh, no, they would let, you know, they've let these people go because they're not selling in a good program, you know, a good blend and mix that serves the factory well and the customer. They're allowing the customer to cherry-pick things which aren't good for the factory and really aren't good for the customer. Um, and on the retail side, it's like, you know, hey, you're great at selling this. But our customers don't even know we offer that. And we need them to. Right. And so that's a shame. And, you know, but I think what the common thread there, to go back to something else you shared about common threads is, where did the leadership fail? to let those people know how important something a good next program was on the wholesale side or letting, you can't just be the sofa specialist in a fall line furniture store because they got 80,000 square feet. You're only selling 10,000 square feet. Like you're every day you're throwing out 70,000 square feet of effort because mm-hmm. you don't want to come along on the program. I love that. I love that. We touched on that onboarding thing. Do you feel, do you feel onboarding lives and dies with leadership and it's, it's there. It's their responsibility to ensure it's the very best and their people succeed and have a good experience.
1: Well, I think that a lot of leaders get very frustrated when somebody doesn't um, measure up, right? They think they made a good hire and then the person just doesn't doesn't reach their potential, doesn't, you know, sales is easy because it's easy to measure like, oh, you're not selling. Um, what they <laughs> What they don't often look at is, you know, they're not doing everything that generally they're not doing everything that they can to fully prepare somebody to be able to hit the ground running. And so when I've built programs like that, it's like first, you have to think of all the things you want somebody to know about your company, your culture, your products, your customer base, you know, all of those things. You need to think through all the things that they need to be able to do. Right? So, you know, they need to do your elevator pitch. They need to be able to, you know... Write up an order, use the point of sale materials, right? Like, there's things they need to do. And then there's all the systems and tools that you use in your business that they need to be trained in, right? Everything from how do you put paper in the copy machine to, you know, how do you transfer a call? How do you use our CRM? Like, there's a lot. And so you need to be very systematic. And there's certain things that, they don't need to know right away until they know these things first. But if you have a systematic approach to getting everybody trained up, then then you know it's not you why this per If somebody doesn't make it, now you know it's the person and not your system.
0: Yeah. I chuckled there about the which way the paper goes in the copier. Because I'm not allowed to... Uh, we use... Well, we print stamps with uh, stamp stuff. Um I'm not allowed to print my own stamps because I mess it up every time. And yeah. the unfortunate thing is you put in a stamp a sheet of stamps, which I think is like 30 of them, uh, you know, onto a sheet of copy paper. You can't cut and paste that project. Post office don't take it. Um uh, so you've just wasted like 40, 50 bucks, or whatever's the value in the stamps. I did it one time for a little internal mail project. And I think each stamp was like 560. So it was about it was about 150 bucks that we wasted. So no, I love it. Thank you for um making me chuckle and laugh throughout our time. Um yeah. as we look to as we look to wrap up, you've got this little speakeasy that you've <laughs> built called the Secret Cellar. So what prompted you to do that? Like that's that's in your home. Is that right?
1: It's in the basement of my house. I live in a regular neighborhood with an HOA and <laughs> um it's just it's a fun space. So I built that space. I I was rehearsing my one woman show in my basement with my director in New York and we were rehearsing over Zoom. We had this great rehearsal and I said she said uh, or no, I said, you know, it's too bad that nobody else was here. Like that was a great run through. Like that would have been a fantastic performance. And um, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, I could put some chairs and tables in my basement. And then as I got into the project as I don't do anything halfway, uh then it became tables and chairs and building a stage and buying professional sound and spotlights and the whole thing and a soundboard. I don't know how to I, I'm learning, right? Like I'm not a tech mm-hmm. person. So I had to learn all that stuff. But yeah, I just uh I created a space where it's fun for my friends, my comedian friends to perform. And then we invite, you know, other friends to be part of it out of part of the experience. And uh, yeah, and I just I built a comedy club in my basement.
0: Love it. Love it. Just went and made your own stage. Merit, this has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate our time. Appreciate you being here uh, for the 99th episode of the Big Ticket Life. We got episode 100 coming up next week. So uh, thank you for being a part of this journey. Uh, people can get a hold of you with MeritCon.com. Anywhere else you'd like to uh, send them,
1: that, you know what? that's the hub of all things k a h n m e r i t k a h n dot com um on there, you'll see the three different stages. so feel free to click on any of them that you know appeal to you. I'm certainly open and happy to talk about any business conferences uh, or leadership events or sales training things that you need.. Um, you can catch my theater shows. I've got shows coming up in January, January 28th at Snappers Comedy Club in Fort Myers, Florida. I'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina, February 4th for a um, confidence and comedy half day event. Very exciting. That's, cool. that's going to be a really unique special event. Um, so you can find out about that on the workshops tab under theater shows. And, uh, if I'm, if there's a comedy club around and, you know, you might see my name. So uh, happy Very to, good. there's also a let's talk button. So if you want to get in touch with me personally and set up some time to chat, I'm happy to do that.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Merit. I would hope I would hope people take you up on that at the website, connect with you in one way, whether it's the laugh or the lead, please go to meritcon.com, and uh, you'll probably get to do a little bit of both there. Merit, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate
1: your time. Thank you, Jeff.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.